0: Father, we thank you for this time uh, of year, for Christmas, Um, to be able to um, go to those places, even to the place uh, overlooking where Jesus, uh, that town of Bethlehem, so amazing, that you would care about us, that you would send your son, born as the babe of Bethlehem, is such a magnificent, magnificent story. Luke chapter 2. That the light of the world came, when it was a dark, dark time. And even as we read in our text here tonight that it was going to be a dark time in the future, that he's going to come back, this time as the reigning Savior and Lord, and he's going to come back to rule and reign. So, Lord, we have a wonderful future. We have hope. And even as we're going to see in the text here tonight that you're the one that makes beauty out of the ashes, you're the only one that can do that. So I pray that you would minister to our hearts in a deep way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we're in the final chapters of Isaiah in chapters 60 through 66, particularly there's gonna be a focus on the reigning Messiah that is gonna come and he's gonna rule and he's gonna rule from Jerusalem and and how God's people are going to find favor and they're gonna be blessed and how the Gentiles are gonna come and honor the the Jewish Messiah, of course, he is the Messiah of all of the world and In the Old Testament, as the prophets wrote about coming to Messiah, and Isaiah does this more than any other book that we have of the Old Testament, he's writing about the suffering Messiah, and he's also writing about the reigning Messiah. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the the scribes and and, um, the, the prophets didn't understand how it was all going to work. Because there was talk of the suffering Messiah, and there's a lot of prophecies here that we're gonna read about uh, that talks about the reigning Messiah. And you see, when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem triumphally, they were expecting him, as Luke's narrative tells us, to usher in the kingdom of God. They were looking to, to be freed from Rome, and that's why they were waving the palm branches and yelling out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and ascribing to him the title of Messiah. And, and the kingdom's going to come, and and. Rome's going to get theirs, and he's going to overthrow the yoke of Rome. And they didn't understand that, that there was also that speaking, as we saw in Isaiah chapters 51, 52, and 53, a Messiah that was going to suffer, that he was going to have his uh, beard plucked out, that he's going to give his face to spitting, and he is going to be marred more than any other man. And he was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And they couldn't reconcile that. So there was different thoughts. They thought, well, maybe there's going to be two messiahs that are going to come on the scene. Uh, one is going to be a suffering messiah. One's going to be the reigning messiah. There was mostly thought the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, that they thought, as you read the historians and, and what the ancient rabbis wrote, that they taught that if Israel was worthy, then the reigning messiah would come. If Israel was not worthy, then the suffering messiah would come. And they believed that's one of the reasons why the Pharisees Pharisees were so adamant about keeping of the Sabbath. They believed that if Israel kept the Sabbath perfectly, then the Messiah would come. And of course the confrontation that they began to have with Jesus was over what? Was over the Sabbath. As Jesus is there in the fields with his disciples, the disciples are plucking the heads of grain on the Sabbath day. They came along and said, you can't do that. That, that constitutes work. You're doing it on the Sabbath. There's nothing wrong with them plucking heads of grain, but to do it on the Sabbath, they considered to be unlawful because they considered it work. And so that confrontation would continue on to where the Pharisees and the religious leaders were determined to put him to death. So that's how serious that they took that they were to keep the most minute details of the Sabbath. So they thought that, well, if we're not worthy, then the suffering Messiah will come. But if we keep it perfectly, the Messiah will come. And he's going to rule and he's going to rain, so that's what they were looking for as we go through these chapters here we're going to see that it speaks mostly of jesus who's going to come back we're in the season of advent advent means the coming and in his first advent of course Born as the babe of Bethlehem, he would come to not free them from Rome, but to free all of us from sin. And And Jesus coming to, to free us from the greatest need that any man or any woman has to be free from sin. But he also said he would come back. So he is gonna come back. He's gonna come back to, to rule and reign. We're gonna come back with him. We will see that when we finish Isaiah and then we go to the book of Revelation and we're gonna look at those events that are gonna take place in that last seven year period that is called Daniel's 70th week or what we call the tribulation period. And all these things are taking place but we also see during that time that God's focus is once again on the nation of Israel. He is going to bring them through a very dark time to where at the end of the tribulation period their eyes are going to be opened up we will see this in Romans in chapter 11 where Paul says that blindness has come in part to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and then at that time all of Israel will be saved so look forward to that teaching that's very very important for us to understand that God has a plan for the church and I believe the plan for the church is that He is going to come along and he's going to rapture us out of this world as he gave the promise to the church of Philadelphia that I will take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. There's only one time where tribulation shall be upon the whole earth and that is in the tribulation period. And the promise is given to us that he will take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation. So we that's why we see that doctrine of imminent return all throughout the New Testament that they were told to be looking for the return of the Lord. So all these things that we're going to be talking about, but also we know that as we look at this, there's shadows and there's references of his first advent as well. So let's begin to look at this final section of Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, verse one, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising." So speaking of the, the glorious light in God's kingdom, uh, we know that it's always darkest right before the dawn. And, and any of you that perhaps work at night or get up very, very early, it, it gets dark and then all of a sudden the dawn comes and the light comes. And it's a very beautiful part of the morning. I love the early mornings. I love that part of the morning. David, he would say that I, I wake in the dawn. It's like uh, as he was so excited to start his day with the lord and so here is he talks about that time that is going to be dark he says verse two behold the darkness shall cover the earth and i really believe that the primary reference here that is being talked about is the tribulation period because tribulation darkness will cover all of the earth again tribulation that shall come upon all of the earth and it's going to be a time where God will pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world, and we will see that in chapters 6 through 18 of the book of Revelation. Now, sometimes there are those who come along and they will say, well, the tribulation period is just for Israel or that area of the Middle East. Um, There are those who come with the predisposition Preterist view that say that all of the prophecies have been fulfilled. Uh, it happened in 70 AD when Titus and the Roman legions came into Jerusalem and they destroyed the second temple, destroyed Jerusalem. Uh, it was a terrible time. Uh, they leveled the city. They took the Jews off into captivity, 100,000 of them. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes at that time that 1.1 million Jews were killed. And of course, Jesus is he talks about that when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of of daniel the prophet that we read about in daniel chapter 9 that he said flee because it's going to be uh, terrible times it's going to be tribulation great tribulation such as the world has never seen or ever will see again and the ones that that hold what is called a predator preterist view, say that all that was fulfilled, what we read in the book of Revelation uh, in 70 AD. And I disagree with that. I don't believe that that's a fulfillment uh, of uh, what the scriptures tell us because it is very, very clear that the tribulation is going to affect all of the world. And Titus, when he came into Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple. He did not desecrate the temple. And as we go through the book of Daniel which we will do when we go through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and get to Daniel, that we see that Daniel painstakingly, he makes the case that there's going to be one that comes on the scene and he's going to desecrate the temple. He's going to set up an image of himself and that is backed up by Paul the apostle in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So it's going to be a very, very dark time and But the kingdom age is going to come when Jesus Christ comes back. Now, there is some interesting things here as we see it. Verse 3, The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to bring the brightness of your rising. That they had a hard time Realizing that salvation was going to come to the Gentiles because they thought that salvation was just for God's covenant people. The early church struggled with that even, and we don't have time to go and talk with it, but salvation would come to the Gentiles even as uh, as Jeremiah uh, or as Isaiah is telling us here, and Jeremiah speaks of it as well, but um, that we know that as he comes, he's going to rule over all the earth. He's going to rule with the rod of iron, as Psalm chapter 2 tells us about you know what's interesting I think there's some shadows here um some uh that that remind us here of, of what, uh what it was like when Jesus first came because it says that the deep darkness of the people and the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be seen upon you and the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings of the brightness of your rising you know when Uh, Jesus, in his first coming, we know that there was the light of the star from the east and the Magi would come. Now, uh, they were Gentiles. Uh, we have that Christmas song, these three kings, they really weren't kings. They were Magi from the east that came from that area of Babylon. And they knew that that star, that they were to, it was to be a sign for them to follow where they came to Herod and said, we're here to worship the, the king of the Jews, the new king of the Jews. And Herod did not like that at all. But people ask, how is it that they knew that to be looking for that star? And, and that gets asked a lot. And I believe it's because of the writings of Daniel. And here these, these Gentiles come from the east following this light to come and worship him. And, and all of a sudden, it was a dark time during that time. As you read Luke chapter 2, it came to pass in those days, that the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And people Lived in fear. I mean, you had Rome that was oppressing the people, you had Caesar Augustus that was on the throne, and when he spoke that everybody's going to be in transition for this new census and for taxes, to go back to your place of ancestry, to register for new taxes, Joseph and Mary had to go. They could not protest it. And Mary, being a spouse to Joseph, that she had to, nine months pregnant, go from Nazareth and 90 miles to the south to Bethlehem because Joseph was what? From the house and lineage of David. And David, of course, was from Bethlehem. And in that time that was dark, people were afraid. People were fearful. You had Herod the Great, as I've already mentioned him, that was ruling over Judea, and he was a very paranoid individual. And when he came, you know, um, he would uh, put many to death. It it was turmoil. The people were afraid. They were afraid of Rome, afraid of uh, Herod the Great. They were afraid of the religious leaders. It was a very dark time. And during that time people longing for the Messiah to come, all of a sudden in that little village, Bethlehem, we see that, that Jesus, Bethlehem means, you know, the city of bread, the bread of life was born to us. And of course, the, the sky lit up with the host of angels and <coughs> singing and praising God to those shepherds out in the field. So the Gentiles shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. But we continue in in verse four. Lift up your eyes all around and see they, they all gather together, they come to you. Excuse me. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at your side so here is is talking about that that they shall all gather they shall come to you we do know at the end of the tribulation period as you read in matthew chapter 24 verse 31 he says that when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of daniel the prophet flee he's speaking to the nation it's going to be great tribulation such as the world has never seen or ever will see again And we know that uh, during that time, at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus Christ is going to be coming back. And as he comes back in verse 31, it tells us that he will, the angels will gather his elect from the four corners of the world. And that word elect, it is believed by scholars, is speaking that he will gather the Jews. There's a partial fulfillment going on right now as the Jews are coming back into Israel. But the fullness of what is being spoken of will happen when he will gather his people and then the restoration of Israel will take place. So lift up your eyes all around. They gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant. Your heart shall swell with joy because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land and the dom of Midian and Ephah, the dromedaries, that's specifically a one-hump camel, I believe. And you recall back in the book of Judges with the story of of, uh, the Midianites coming, you know, and uh, Gideon, and Gideon's hiding, and the people are hiding. And the Midianites had come in for seven years to take the harvest away from Israel. They were afraid of them. And the Midianites had a new secret weapon, as you read it, and that was the camel. This this one hump camel that would come across the desert carry heavy loads they would come and take the harvest and take it back camels didn't need much water much food and so they oppressed the people and here it's talking about during this time when the Lord comes back that they're going to come to honor the Lord and those from Sheba that Saudi Arabia shall come they shall bring gold and incense and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord and all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you the rams of Nebuchadnezzar hath shall minister to you they shall ascend with my, with acceptance on my altar and i will glory the house of my glory so during the reign of solomon as you read the old testament you recall that the kings and leaders would pay tribute to solomon and his kingdom what's well, going to happen when jesus rules and reigns From Jerusalem. And the Gentile nations are going to come and they're going to bring gifts. And it's interesting that these nations that are mentioned, Midian and Sheba, uh, that are going to be in the east, are going to come specifically. And where did those Magi's come? Again, just kind of a shadow what we see in Jesus' first advent. They came from the east. They came from that area. They came on camels probably. And they would bring gold and they would bring frankincense or that is incense, but they also brought myrrh. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now it's interesting, this is specifically talking about Jesus' second coming. Myrrh is not mentioned here, but incense and gold is. They would bring gold because that's the... The, the metal of deity of perfection and kings, you know, the king of the Jews is worthy of gold and incense, you know, frankincense and, and incense and they would do that with, with Solomon and bring that in. and then myrrh. Now why did those Magi's from the east when they came to Jesus and of course when they showed up it, Jesus was about two years old as you read very carefully Matthew chapter 2 but they came they followed the star on camels from the east, bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why did they bring myrrh? Because myrrh is a burial spice. Isn't that interesting? How did they know to bring myrrh? Because I believe of the prophecies of Daniel. The prophecies of Daniel that said that, that 69 weeks are going to pass when the command comes to rebuild and restore Jerusalem until coming to Messiah the Prince. They were looking for a sign that Messiah the Prince is going to come and that star from the east. And then Messiah shall be cut off after that time and specifically that means that he's going to be put to death so they bring myrrh isn't that amazing and here's what's even more amazing that they make this long journey from Babylon and and from the east all the way across that desert I don't know some of you perhaps have been in that area but it is desert desert and they make all that way they come into Jerusalem they they are looking for the new king of Israel they're looking to worship the, the new Messiah that has been born and what happened when Herod the Great heard that they were coming and we don't know how many came. It says Magi plural in Matthew's narrative. It could have been two wise men. It could have been three. And I think three makes a nice kind of picture or nativity scenes that we buy, right? You have three wise men, one carrying gold, one frankincense and one myrrh. So it makes a nice picture. Could have been three could have been a dozen. Could have been a hundred. I think it was many wise men that came because they got the attention of Herod the Great. And he's like, what are these guys doing here? They're coming across. There's this caravan of wise men from the east. They're bringing gifts. What is it that they're up to? We're here to worship the new king of Israel. When he heard that, Herod the Great was so upset, he summons the religious leaders, and he says, what do your prophecies say where the, the Messiah, the new king of Israel, this king that they're talking about, where is he going to be born? And they go to Micah, of course, chapter 5, verse 2. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was only about 10 miles from Jerusalem. But here's the thing I, I think that intrigues me as you think about about it these guys make all this effort to come they're watching they're looking for for messiah to be born they they know the promise of god's word that is given from daniel's prophecy that had been there 600 years before that and they make all that effort to come to worship the new king of israel and those religious leaders were only 10 miles away from bethlehem and they didn't even go to check it out There's no record of of any effort of them to go to Bethlehem. Oh, the new king of of the Jews, yeah, the Messiah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. You would think, maybe we ought to go and check this out. But they didn't. And that intrigues me. But it also, it kind of speaks to me as well. Because we can think we know the scriptures, and we know the prophecies, and... We get the charts out concerning his second coming and it's all interesting. But are you really looking for him? Are we living every day that knowing that the Lord can come back and tomorrow isn't promised to any of us anyway? Are we living for him today and keeping our eyes on him? So here you see those shadows given, but we continue as uh, we are in, um, let's go to verse eight, who are these who fly like a cloud, like doves to their roosts. Surely the coastland shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarsus will come first. Tarsus was kind of Disneyland back then. It was, um, it, you know, Tarsus was, they don't know if it was in Spain, probably in that area of Spain's. but, but um, you know, we. it was a place where there was all these, uh, you know, uh, uh, Markets and, and people went there for the vacation and, and they come from Tarshish and to bring your sons from afar to silver and their gold with them, the name of your Lord your God into the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified you. And the sons of foreigners shall build up your walls and their king shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have mercy on you. You see, they have gone through, God's people, tremendous turmoil and we know that Jesus, that he wept over Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you to myself like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing to come. And now your house is left to you desolate and you will see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, of course, they have gone through tremendous turmoil. They will go through tremendous tribulation in the tribulation period. But at the end of that, as we see, for my wrath has struck you, but in my favor I have mercy on you, that he will restore them. He will open up their eyes, and they will see that Jesus is their Mashiach. And therefore your gates shall be open continually, and they shall not be shut day or night that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. For the nation and kingdom which you will not serve you shall perish, those nations shall be utterly ruined. It's kind of interesting here as we look at this that in the ancient cities, of course, the walls around the city, they had walls and they shut the gates to protect them from their enemies. They shut them at night. In the millennium age, there's no need to shut the gates and and the gates are gonna remain open. You know, peace is going to be there. We know that there will be no peace here on this earth until the Prince of Peace comes back. And when he does come back, right, as the battle of Armageddon has taken place, that he will come back and he will judge the nations, he will store the nation of Israel, they will be gather his elect uh, to their... Uh, in Israel and he will also he will bring the judgments on the nations as well and it's interesting that the millennium reign which is going to be a thousand years that we know that the Lord's going to rule from Jerusalem Uh, we're going to rule and reign with him we know Revelation chapter 5 says that uh, other references of the scripture that we're going to rule and reign with him and that's the millennium reign now there are it seems to be more and more of uh, of independent churches and and you know the evangelical church that is saying that there is going to be no millennium reign and and bringing in replacement theology that God is through with the jews and you know it 's just a coincidence that they 're a nation and, and these different views are not talking about. In time prophecy, so much of the Bible and so much of Isaiah tells us about it, what our promise is going to be. And the only time that you and I are going to rule and reign with the Lord is in the millennium reign, when he sets up his kingdom here on this earth for a thousand years. After that time... The heavens and the earth, as Peter writes about, will go up in a fervent heat and um, the heavens and the earth will melt away and then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where we're going to dwell with him forever and ever. We're not going to rule and reign with him, but we're going to dwell with him. And, and, and that's a promise for us and that's our future and it's so wonderful. So here is as it's talking about that there's going to be peace that will finally come in the millennium reign of Jesus Christ ruling the nations with a rod of iron there's also hints Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that the nations will come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of tabernacles now the feast of tabernacles is one of the three major feasts that the Jews celebrated it's the most festive of all the the major feasts in the fall where they would come and they would it was like a big camp out you know the feast of booths the feast of tabernacles and they would sleep there in Jerusalem under tents under these little lean toots and they would tell their children about how the Lord brought them through the wilderness and into the promised land that was the feast of tabernacles and then in the millennium reign it seems to indicate that we're going to celebrate all the nations the feast of tabernacles of course how the Lord brought us through this time and now he has come to rule and reign and and it's going to be a wonderful time but there's a warning given to those nations who do not come up to honor the Lord and to, to worship him and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So it's kind of interesting when you look at those verses and they will be dealt with as Zechariah 14 says with plagues and drought. Now that's in the millennium reign but I do want to say this that if we're not ones that we really are desiring to worship him and to learn of him and to just be submitted to Him. That you know what comes into our lives is drought. There's just drought in our hearts and in our souls. And we end up getting plagued when we're not doing what the Lord desires for us to do. and We're ignoring Him. We get plagued with all kinds of confusion and hardships and difficulties because we end up going to the way of the world. And, and as we worship Him and look to Him and remember that He's brought us to this place where we have everlasting life. He's, he's brought us out of darkness. He's brought us out of, you know, being separated from him and spiritual death and out of the, you know, light, out of the darkness into his marvelous light as Peter would write. And we have so much to be thankful for. So live for him. Because this world is going to come to an end the way that it is. And the Lord's going to come and rule and reign and we're going to be with him. So we want to to prioritize him. And he's the only source of peace in our lives. We're going to talk about on Sunday that, that one of the benefits, of course, of justification is we have peace with God. We're no longer at war with him, at enmity with him. We have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that will give us that peace with God and then he desires to give us the peace of God in our hearts as we live for him. And he's the only source, the prince of peace. But let's continue in verse 13. The glory of Lebanon shall come to the cypress, the pine, the box tree together. The beautify the place of my sanctuary and I will make the place of my feet glorious. All the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you and all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet and they shall call you the city of the Lord Zion, the Holy One of Israel whereas you have been forsaken and hated so that no one went through you. I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles, the milk of the breasts of kings. You shall know that I am the Lord Lord, am your savior and your redeemer the mighty one of jacob and as we read this speaking of the glory of jerusalem of israel they will go through initially such destruction but there will be no more violence that will be heard in the land as we read this uh, we see that uh, they're going to be honored uh, as we read about this during the millennium reign. And then in verse 17, instead of bronze, they will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood and bronze, instead of stones and iron, I will make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Verse 17, I was kind of thinking about this this afternoon, that instead of bronze, I will bring gold. And it just kind of prompted my memory, thinking back to Solomon's day, That when Solomon, of course, there was great prosperity, a lot of gold, a lot of silver that was in the kingdom. And what Solomon did is uh, he had there at the temple, he had these shields that were made of pure gold. And and um, they would be on display, and the people could see, and it was a symbol of because there was no war during that time. His father David had defeated his enemies, but it was the shield. It it spoke of prosperity and peace, and the power of the empire uh, is what it spoke of. Well, after the death of Solomon, his son Rehoboam comes on the scene, and and you might remember remember that Second Chronicles chapter twelve talks about that Rehoboam, of course, was not right with God. He was very prideful. It was during his reign that the ten northern tribes broke away because, you know, he was going to try to rule with a heavy hand. They said, forget you, Rehoboam. We're going to break away from you. And so he did a lot of damage. And because his heart wasn't right with the Lord, I believe it's Shikshak, was the, the king of Egypt, comes into Jerusalem and takes those gold you know, shields away. And, and Rehoboam is under the submission of, of the king of Egypt. And what he does is he makes these 300 shields made of bronze. And they would bring it out and they would display it for a little bit and then they would take it away very quickly. But they went from gold to bronze. It was kind of like this. He was trying to give this cheap imitation of what his father had done. Bronze is nowhere valuable to gold. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking that this kind of stirred my thought about that. That here, that as we are with the Lord in the millennium reign, instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I'll bring silver. Here's the thing. For us, even today, we and make application. Don't let Egypt rip you off. And I think that a lot of Christians end up getting ripped off and, and, and here they have this bronze when the Lord says, I want to give you gold. And I'm talking about he wants to give us the very best. And he wants our lives to count for him. But we end up giving that up because of our rebellion or because of our pride or whatever the case may be and we end up having a life that can be likened to bronze when he wants our lives to be likened to gold and remember that paul tells us that when we stand before the bema reward seat of jesus christ in first corinthians chapter 3 that our works that we do for him to be rewarded all of our works are going to be tried like fire and All those things that are going to be rewarded are likened to what? Gold and silver and precious metal. Everything else going to burn up is going to be like wood, hay and stubble. So I don't want to have a life that's full of wood, hay and stubble. I don't want to have bronze because I'm so involved in the world, you know, tied up in the world, compromising with the world. When the Lord says, I want you have a life that is golden not to be third best second best but the very best for you and sometimes as Christians I think that you know Egypt that is a picture of the world in the Old Testament that we let the world comes invading our lives so often in so many areas of our lives we see that the world comes in and pulls on us, pulls us away from the things of the Lord. I hope that we would have a heart that, Lord, I want to every day make you the priority of my heart, of my soul, of my life, every area of my life. You see, that's what he wants to do with us. And he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. If we just allow him to do that. You know, I was listening to Pastor Ed today on the radio when he was doing Calvary Live. He was reading an article at the beginning, and he was talking about the article that he read that five, over 5,000 churches, 100 churches a week, over 100 churches a week in America are closing down. And that people aren't going to church today like they used to. And that's the overall, you know, uh, trend that we're seeing in our own nation because we're so tied up in the world and so much activity and things like that. And I read that and it, it makes me sad. It makes me sad that, 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 you know, being with the brethren and the things of the Lord on a priority, even with Christians these days, not you guys, and I'm not saying this judgmentally, but, but there can be a lot of distractions that are out there to pull us away from the things that the Lord wants us Be blessed with and benefited by. And that is our devotion to Him and being with the brethren and loving one another and using our gifts and and growing in the Word of God. That's the priority that we should have. And the Lord wants to do that work in us and through us. And in verse 18, speaking of the millennium, violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation, your gates praise. I like that. And the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you but the lord will be to you an everlasting light in your god your glory your sun shall no longer go down nor shall your moon withdraw itself for the lord will be an everlasting light all the days of your morning shall be ended Also your people shall be righteous, they shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand and a small one a strong nation and I the Lord will hasten it in its time. So here in verses 19 to the end of the chapter, some say scholars is speaking of the new Jerusalem and when you read Revelations chapters 21 and 22, it tells us that in the new Jerusalem, that there's in the new heavens and the new earth, first of all, there's gonna be no ocean, So those of you who like the ocean don't mean to bum you out, but it doesn't talk about there's going to be no more seas. um, And there's going to be no sun. The the glory of the Lord is going to be our light. And so uh, that's the the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem that we're going to live in um, for all eternity. Some say it's speaking of that. Others say, no, speaking of the kingdom age, because of verse 20, what we read, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. So perhaps... uh, Uh, that the tribulation period, the mourning that takes place leading up to the millennium reign, either case, is going to be glorious because the Lord's going to be there. And then very quickly, chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn in verse 3 to console those who mourn in Zion, give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You know, I love these verses of Isaiah. And here in verse uh, one and uh, two, it is speaking of Jesus. It is speaking of his first coming. It may ring a bell as we Read this, that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Remember in Luke chapter 4? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue in Nazareth, where he was raised. And he gets up and he begins to read from the scriptures, from the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads this text. He reads this, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That was the ministry of Jesus if we go through the Gospels. He taught good tidings, good news of the gospel. He healed the brokenhearted. He freed those who were Demoniacs and, and, and opening the prison of those who are bound. He, he would free those, you know, that were in bondage to sickness, those who were diseased. He proclaimed liberty to them. It's amazing, his ministry, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And in that, as he says, the acceptable day of the Lord, it's speaking about God's grace. But then something happened. He closed the book, Luke tells us, or he rolled up the scroll. He handed it to the attendant and say that this hearing is fulfilled today. In other words, he's saying that I fulfilled this, that I am the coming one that's being spoken of. Now, what is interesting is he rolled it up after verse 2 to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed it and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, that speaks of his second coming. Amazing, isn't it? So he closed it, just speaking of his first coming. The day of vengeance of our God is speaking of his second coming. But of course, you know the story of Luke chapter 4. The people said, isn't this Joseph's boy? We know this, you know, him. We, we know all his family. And they got so angry at Jesus that they are going to throw him off a cliff, Right? And they push him to the edge of the cliff, Jesus, and then he walked right through them. And as we go to Nazareth, when we go to Israel, we go to where Nazareth is. And um, Nazareth, of course, in Jesus' day, was just a little village. Now it's a city of 100,000 people. But in the hillsides there of of where Nazareth is nestled, there's one major cliff that's there. And we go and we point it out to you. And that's probably where they drove Jesus up to, to that cliff. And then he would walk through them and he would go to Capernaum where he spent most of his time (coughs) ministering there. But I love what it says here in verse 3. "To give them beauty for ashes. And it's amazing that Travis, you sang that song. We didn't talk about the song list. But he's the one that makes beauty for ashes. And I want to encourage you here tonight. Because maybe there are things that have happened that you feel like it's just an ash heap. And he's the one that can make beauty out of the ashes. Maybe you've been burnt by somebody or a circumstance. You know, when we think of ashes, it's like it's gone. It's burnt up. There's, there's no restoring. But the Lord is the one, somehow, some way, the promise given to you is that you can make beauty out of the ashes. And maybe you might think that this is burnt up. It's gone. It's, it's dead, whatever it may be. That the Lord wants to do restorative work. He wants to do a wonderful work. He wants to bring beauty out of the ashes. I think that might be a word for somebody here tonight. You think, how can life ever come from this? You know, in 1988, uh, I was up. I was just right after um, college and... I've been working with the government, BLM, in Utah and, and uh, in Wyoming and doing vegetation studies. But when the fires broke out um, in Yellowstone, it burned a million acres. A million acres. You might remember that was 30 years ago, those of us who are a little older. And, and it just burnt like gasoline what happened is the pine beetle came through the lodgepole pines there in Yellowstone and the national park service had a policy we're going to let nature take its course and of course the next thing through the ecological cycle would be a fire and the fires came in that summer and just a million acres burnt half the park in the surrounding area of Yellowstone that's a lot of acres and i remember it was an election year and you know george bush the 1st and the caucus were there. There and they were talking about how they're going to solve this problem. It's like, you're not going to solve this problem. They couldn't do anything. I remember being there and, and seeing the fire spread 50,000 acres in one day. And those lodgepole pines would just go up like that. And I remember when the park burnt up, you know, everybody was upset, a lot of people, and Yellowstone is ruined, and and it's black, and it was charred, just miles of it, as far as you can see. And then all of a sudden, a snowstorm came in, put the fire out, and then the next spring, out of the ashes came the beauty, and came the flowers, and the meadows were formed. And if you go back there today and we we've spent a lot of time we'd take the kids there and, and we go in those areas. We've been going there for years. You know, we'd be in the Lamar Valley and watching the grizzly bears and the wolves and we just love it there and, and watching the forest grow and how God made the lodgepole pine pine cones were serotonous and the only way to open up those pine cones was heat so the seeds would fall and all of a sudden this this new forest and out of the ashes came the beauty it's a beautiful place now and and uh completely different and that's the way God made it and maybe you're here today and a fire of some sort has gone through your life and I feel like this is burnt up and this is dark and my life is smoldering right now And you wonder if there's any hope. He makes beauty from the ashes. And you look to him. One of the things that we'll read about as we finish chapter four, is remember he's talking about Abraham in Romans chapter four. And one of the things that we learned about Abraham's faith is that he believed that the promise that God gave to him, that God was able to perform it. And the promises that he gives to you, and this is one of them, out of the ashes of whatever it is that you may have going on in your life, loss or difficulty or turmoil or health, whatever it might be, he wants to bring beauty. He wants to bring beauty. And as we go through that time, he wants to do restorative and new work. He's not done with you. And he's not done working in the situation that you might find yourself in. I hope that's a word of encouragement to you, to somebody that's here tonight. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for, Lord, that we know that you're gonna return Jesus and the promises that are here. It's a lot. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand, but we know that Jesus came the first time to free us from sin And as we come, put our faith in you, we are justified freely by your grace through the redemption of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. And we know that he's going to come a second time and that we're in perilous times and very unique times. And Lord, I thank you for the promise that you're going to take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation it shall come upon the whole earth. But Lord, we know that there are those around us that we care for and love, that they don't know you. So I pray that we would keep priority the message of Jesus Christ came to this world, the light of the world, to die for sinful humanity. And he is our salvation. And he is our light and he is our peace. There is none other. And our hope is not in this world.